Many years ago at a church in Illinois, I got up to give one of the first sermons that I had ever given. I mean, I was young. I'd actually never really gotten up in a church and given a message of of any sort, and I was incredibly nervous. I mean, butterflies flying all over my stomach, and I had put in a lot of time, a lot of effort into preparing. I actually went into kind of the empty room with all the lights down and and practiced speaking to an empty room. Turns out I was actually preparing for doing this through a global pandemic in like 15 years. So God has a sense of humor on that. But that particular Sunday when I got up that first time and gave a message, I know it wasn't the best sermon. I mean, I do think that I, I gave it my best shot, that I, that I did my best. Now, after you speak in a church, things can get a little weird. I mean, I know that when you see me or when you see Jerry, after we speak on a Sunday, you, you, you might feel obligated to say something. We appreciate that. You know, you might say, you know, hey, good job, great message, you know, whatever. That, that's very kind of you. We appreciate it. Although I think both Jerry and I have been told, hey, good message when we weren't the one speaking that day, which can get a little awkward and a little funny. It's our kind of like private little joke where we go, yeah, I didn't, but thanks anyway. Now that morning after I spoke, I got off the stage And people were mostly pleasant, but there was this one guy. There's always that one guy. This guy's name was Gary. And Gary didn't really know me, and I didn't really know Gary, but he came up and he looked me in the eye with kind of a weird smirk, and and he said, that wasn't great. You'll get them next time. And then he kind of came up to me and, and gave me like the, the baseball pat on the rear end, you know, like, good game. Well, that's awkward in and of itself. And it didn't feel very good. But what really bothered me was the next day. It was the email that I got from Gary on Monday that had a point-by-point, fairly harsh criticism of the message. Everything from the clothes that I wore, the words that I used, the stories that I told, the way that I stood. And after I read it, I was defeated. I was discouraged. Now looking back, part of his critiques were fair. Part of them were pretty harsh, and some of them were downright untrue. But the truth is... We all give and we all receive criticism. We criticize maybe the new system implemented at work, or we criticize family at home and how something's going. We're even self-critical, and that easily turns into negative self-talk. And sometimes criticism from an absolute stranger can really sting. You know, when you post something on Facebook and then somebody who doesn't even know you says something and comments on it and you go, you don't know me. How can you tell me that? That you don't, you can't do that. But sometimes when it's somebody that knows you, you know, like the, your boss or your friend or your, your spouse or your children and they say something that's critical. And maybe it even speaks to a weakness in you, something that is an insecurity that you have. It can, it can cut deep. Everyone is criticized. And have you heard this phrase? Everybody's a critic. I mean, we have TV critics, we have food critics, we have movie critics, literature, theater, all sorts of critics. You can get paid to be critical of someone. That's a pretty good gig if you can get it, I guess. 
Now, when it comes to criticism, we often believe these two things, whether they're true or not. Here they are. Criticism is harmful. You feel that? Weakness is painful. We don't want it. We want to avoid criticism. We want to avoid weakness at all costs. And I think these two reasons are why many of us have trouble accepting criticism. You know, I've been thinking about it. Why do we have so much trouble when we're criticized? Well, I think it's because we think criticism is harmful. It hurts us. And weakness is painful. It reveals the stuff in us we don't want anybody to know. Now, perhaps we desire approval. You know, being told we fall short is not particularly fun. We feel like we're not good enough, maybe. We have a need to be right. Being told we're wrong feels like we've failed or we're a failure. We have a need for people to see us at our best. You know, being told that we make a mistake feels incredibly vulnerable because it really does include something we've done wrong or a weakness. Criticism just feels bad. And criticism, no matter the motivation behind it, seems to confirm, you know, maybe that little voice or that loud voice in your head that's kind of yelling, you're not good enough. Now we're continuing our series called The Life of Paul. And Here at the Ridge, we have something called the Ridge Reading Challenge. We're reading through portions of the Bible together. And right now in the Ridge Reading Challenge, we're reading about this, the life of Paul. And as I've been reading through the Ridge Reading Challenge the past few weeks, I've noticed, man, Paul, he had to deal with a lot of criticism. Over and over and over again, people didn't like Paul's message about Jesus. And they yelled at him and they accused him of all sorts of things. They tried to murder him. And if you're reading the Ridge Reading Challenge 2, pay attention over the next couple of weeks of how much criticism Paul deals with as you read. But this all kind of comes to a head, this pivotal moment in Acts 24. And that's what we're going to read this next week. And for context, Paul has come back to Jerusalem. He has been traveling all over the place preaching about Jesus. And he went to the temple, their church, and some of the Jews saw Paul and they raised a mob up against him. They rioted and they grabbed Paul and they were going to try to kill him. Now a Roman commander saw what was going on and arrested Paul actually to protect him. And Paul pled his case to everybody who was listening. And eventually he was brought before the governor of the region, a guy named Felix. Now, this would have kind of been like a courtroom setting. So the Jewish elders, led by a lawyer named Tertullus, presented their case and criticism of Paul. So here's really what Tertullus said about Paul. This is Acts 24, 5 through 7. We found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker who's constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. That's pretty serious. Those accusations are real deal criticism of Paul. Tertullus is saying he's a troublemaker. He's a ringleader. He's desecrating what we believe in. So how does Paul deal with those accusations? How does he deal with the criticism? Well, here's how he responds. This is Acts 24:12. He says, "My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple." It's not true. Nor stirring up a riot in any of the synagogues or on the streets of the city. Actually, they did that. 
these men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. Now this is part of dealing with criticism that kind of feels good to us. It's when we are able to say, uh, nope, that's not true. And Paul says, no, that's flat out not true. And he's, he's saying, hey, my accusers, these men, Tertullus and these Jewish leaders, some of what you're saying is just a flat out lie. It's not true. And he looked at the people that had brought him before this governor, Felix, and he considered who they were what they had to say. Why were they saying and bringing this criticism against them? That's the first thing I think we can actually learn about criticism. As we're learning about how Paul responds to being criticized, here's the first thing. When we're criticized, consider the source. We've all been criticized from people that we would never take advice from. I mean, you know what I mean. Have you ever been doing something and somebody's looking over your shoulder telling you how to do it and they have no idea how to do it? Most recently, I think one of my favorite examples of this is I was driving down the road with my family and my kids were saying, hey, hey, daddy, this is, you're not going the right way. They had no idea where we were going. How do they know if we're going the right way? We have to consider the source. So you pay attention to criticism. Our our original response is to say, no, we're just going to ignore it. But if you consider the source, you're thinking about who and why someone is criticizing you. So is the person who's criticizing you someone you would listen to, someone that you respect? Consider the source. Now, I do want to say we, we need to be careful about dismissing all criticism all the time. So considering the source, I think, can be a really helpful way to for us to think through, can we pay attention to this criticism? Here's the thing. We need correction. It's an important part of our lives. Considering the source can be healthy in taking criticism from someone you trust and helping you grow. And if you're never wrong, you're probably not right. So when you're criticized, consider the source. But Paul doesn't even stop there. He considers the source, but he he keeps going. He does something else. And the way he does it surprises me a little bit. We'll kind of continue in Acts 24. But I admit, he says, that I follow the way, which is a Christ follower, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe that the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets, I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. When I read this the first time, it blows me away because he does something that I don't know if I'd be willing to do. He says, but I admit. What do you mean you admit? They're falsely accusing Paul. The things that they're saying aren't true, but he admits to some of it. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. At the time, these people accusing Paul, they were looking down on Christians Christians were like the lowest of the low. Think of the lowest possible thing you can think of. And that's what they thought Paul was. His accusers aren't saying, hey, you're a Christ follower and that's positive. They're saying a Christ follower is weakness. Now, it's not, but sometimes it's perceived like weakness. I don't want to admit where I'm weak. I don't want to admit where I'm wrong. I don't want to admit anything when I'm being accused of something. 
But Paul acknowledges kind of that little truth nugget. Say, hey, part of what you say I am, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. You're right. And I believe some of the same things that you believe. That's true. So Paul doesn't just consider the source. Here's the second thing he does when he's criticized. He finds the truth. Oftentimes, whether we like to admit it or not, there's, there's usually a little kernel of truth in there when we're being criticized. Or there's a big old huge honking piece of truth when we're being criticized. And because of our disdain or discomfort with criticism, we just don't pay attention to it. Remember, remember Gary? Gary. Some of what he said wasn't kind at all. And I really could have done without the good game, Pat. That was a little uncomfortable for me. But I think now that time has passed, now that some of that emotion has been removed, I think some of what he said was right. Not all of it. But the truth is the truth, even if it's not said kindly. And we should do our best to say it kindly and be compassionate. That's important, yes. But when we receive criticism, when we get it, Are we stopping long enough to find the truth in it? Because truth can help us grow. It can help us get better. It can help us do better. Have you ever been in the middle of a conversation with somebody and you realize, oh, they're right. Uh Uh-oh, I'm wrong and they're right. Or you're being criticized maybe for not paying attention in a conversation at home when you're sitting on your couch, maybe playing a dumb game on your phone and your wife, let's call her Abby, says, hey, are you even paying attention? And you don't even hear what she says. Oddly specific. Sometimes we're criticized for things that are true. I wasn't paying attention. So the next time you're criticized... Think about who's doing it, consider the source, but also pause and really find the truth. If it's not true, that's good. You can move on. But as you think, as you process, and you need to take a little time to do this sometimes, actually pause, ask God, hey, is this true? Or talk to a trusted friend, a trusted source, uh, objective opinion, and say, is there any truth in any of this? So we've learned when dealing with criticism, you've got to consider the source, got to find the truth. What else can we learn from Paul's response? This is Acts 24, 16. Because of this, all the things that he's talking about, all the things that are true and aren't true and how he's trying to follow God no matter what, because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. I always try. Those are powerful words. I always try. So the wisdom there is, and if you're reading this too fast, sometimes I I skip right over words like that. Paul's saying in the midst of criticism, our goal, your goal, my goal in life isn't to be perfect. It isn't to be right. It isn't to be the best or the strongest or the smartest. It's to try our best before God. I always try. Doesn't mean he always does. So when it comes to criticism, consider the source, find the truth. And the third thing, do your best. I'm going to fail. I will falter. I will be criticized. And honestly, I find so much comfort in the fact that Paul and in his ministry, when he's doing his best, he's criticized too. 
And sometimes I think we make the goal the wrong thing. We make the goals these unachievable, unrealistic things. You know, perfectionism, approval from people, power, whatever that is. And when all God is asking for is, hey, just do your best. And sometimes for me, the harshest criticism actually comes from myself. Can you relate to that? And I'm saying things like, see, do you see, Adam? Do you see where you fall short? And self-criticism can be really difficult to deal with. But my suggestion is go through the same process that Paul went through. Consider that source. And don't say no, like me, yes, that's the source. But why? What's the source in your heart? Why are you criticizing yourself? What's the source of it? And then find the truth. Is what you're saying true or not? And then remind yourself, are you doing your best? Can you put your head on the pillow at the end of the day and honestly say, God, I didn't do it perfectly. I didn't do it all right. I need to grow, but I did my best. And if you can do that, whether that's self-criticism or criticism from another person, just doesn't sting so much. Now, the past couple of months been kind of a difficult couple of months, haven't they? I mean, we don't have any practice living through a global pandemic. I'm marveled at people's resilience, at your resilience. I mean, figuring out how to do a job that's normally done on site, but you're doing it from home, that's amazing to me. Figuring out how to change the background on your Zoom meeting, still don't quite know how to do that. Figuring out how to buy groceries without ever leaving your car, turns out it's awesome. Figuring out e-learning, which is a little less awesome. Figuring out church online. Figuring out how to tolerate your pastor husband working from home and creating havoc for you and your kids. Again, oddly specific. But I have to admit, one of the biggest themes I've seen over the past couple of months is criticism. Now, it was always there. But are you being critical? Are you being criticized? We're critical of the government. We're critical of the school district. We're critical of the restaurant owner. We're critical of the neighbor, the friend, the coworker, the church leader. We're critical in our heart. And if you've been on the receiving end of some of that type of criticism, you're not alone. We have too. I have too. But I want you to know, God expects this from you. Do your best. That's it. And it's not do the best. It's not be the best. It's do your best. And these three words should give you hope and peace and perspective. Do your best. And remember, Paul, kind of this all-star minister, is criticized a lot in his ministry. But what did he do? He considered the source, he found the truth, and he did his best for God. Now, he actually didn't even stop there. I would actually prefer that he stopped there, because the next part is the hardest part. But he does something else that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Later in his ministry, Paul wrote a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. And part of the reason for the letter is to respond to some pretty harsh criticism in that church. They were being really critical of Paul. 
And in the context of talking about suffering, talking about criticism, Paul brings up this phrase, maybe you've heard it before, he calls it the thorn in the flesh, otherwise known as a weakness. He begged God to take away this weakness. And each time he begged, this was the response from Jesus. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. So each time he begged for it to go away, Jesus said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, criticism, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Every time I read this, my jaw just drops. It's actually a post-it note on my monitor in my office. Boast in my weakness. Take pleasure in my weakness. In the insults, in the criticism, in the suffering, whether it's fair or not, whether I believe it or not, boast. So when it comes to criticism, when it comes to where we fall short... Here's what we can learn, I think, from the life of Paul. Here's the recap. When we're criticized, yeah, we should consider the source. When we're criticized, we can find the truth. When we're criticized, we can do our best. But here's the big one. Here's the hard one. When we're criticized, we can thank God. When's the last time that you thanked God for being criticized? Uh, Never for me, probably. I cannot think of a time where I was super cheerful about being criticized when somebody said something and my gut response was, thank God for my weakness. Thank you for sending this person to me to criticize me. I mean, I understand the first three. But thank God for criticism? Why does Paul tell us this? Why is this important? Well, we're going to put 2 Corinthians 12.9 back up. Because there's one word on this screen that changes everything. And it's this one. It's the word grace. That grace comes from Jesus. We don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. We don't have to be right to be loved by God. We don't have to be approved by our peers to be loved by God. We don't have to know what to do to be loved by God. We don't have to be strong or smart or funny or anything fill in the blank to be loved by God. We just are loved by God. And his grace is to love us no matter what, even when We're not perfect, even when we don't know what to do, or even when we're right or approved of or strong. He loves us no matter what when we don't deserve it. That's why Jesus came, to love us dying on the cross where we fall short for our sin, for our weakness, and for some of the very things that we are criticized for. So here's what we can do with that. I can thank God when I'm criticized because Jesus' power works best in my weakness. This can be our response to criticism. 
So yes, consider the source, find the truth, and do your best. That's all incredibly good. But do all of that in the context of grace so that you can thank God, so that you can boast in insults, you can boast in weakness, you can boast in criticism, because it's our very weakness where Jesus is the strongest. That word, that one little word, God's grace, it changes everything, including the way we look at ourselves and including the way we look at criticism. Remember where we started? Here's kind of what we think intuitively about criticism. Criticism is harmful. Weakness is painful. But because of God's grace in His power, when we're criticized because Jesus is enough, criticism is hurtful, turns into criticism is helpful. Weakness is painful, turns into weakness is actually powerful. Because God's grace, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it changes everything. So the next time that you're criticized, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, what are you going to do? Take a deep breath, consider the source, find the truth, Do your best and thank God for the criticism. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, this is hard to do. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around that in criticism, in weakness, in where we fall short, you're the strongest. It's because of who you are, what you're about. Help us keep this perspective as we deal with criticism or when we criticize someone else, that your power works best in weakness. Thank you for the way you love us, despite of ourselves, in spite of ourselves. Thank you for the way that you ask us just to do our best and to be yours and to rest in that. Help us apply what we're talking about throughout this week And it's in Jesus' name, because of the cross that we pray. Amen.